Good morning, everyone. It's the Lord's Day. It's time to sing His praise and lift our voices together. Worship Him. We're going to let the Lord call us to worship from Psalm 47. So good to see you guys. Thank you guys for joining us from home. If you're there, let's listen to God's word. It says this in Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Let's worship Him together. Jesus, from age to age you reign, 
Fortress is our God, a shield that never fails. Amid the flood of mortal ills, His power will prevail. Our ancient foe is cruel and armed with hate. Yet with one word, He'll bow to Jesus' reign. Hoping God, oh he is strong and he is strong to save Hope in God, he's a rock in your heart
Psalm 62 says for this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. So trust in Him all times, at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. Thank you, God, that you are the hope that each of us who are in Christ this morning have. Lord, we don't have to come in here and hope for hope. Lord, we come in here knowing that hope is ours. Lord, because of what you have done in conquering the power of sin and death. Lord, because of the way that you have subdued the enemy underneath your feet. Lord, we have hope, real hope, that one day we will forever be free from all of this chaos, all of this turmoil that is both without and within us. Lord, so our hope is in you, Jesus. So Lord, we, our response to knowing that truth, for remembering that truth, Lord, that was, our response should be worship. It should be gratitude. It should be gratefulness. It should be awe, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we continue singing this morning, Lord, that you would let us catch a glimpse, Lord, of your, your supreme majesty. God, open our eyes to see your beauty, your perfection, your worth, your power. God, help us to see.
What other glory consumes like fire? What other power can raise the dead? What other name reveals could rescue me from my failing who else would offer his only son who else invites me to call him father only a holy God Show me who you are and fill. 
Fill us with your love, Lord. Help us build our lives upon your love. Open our eyes to see. Open our eyes to see. See your glory. See your worth. See your goodness, see your mercy, see your faithfulness to me, because you are good. sight of you. Lord, Lord, it does. The sight of you has many effects, Lord, but the two that are 
on the top of my mind, at least right now, as we're singing, Lord, that one would be that we build our life upon you. As we see you for who you are, we see you as worthy, we see you as as worthy of having our faith put in you, Lord, that we would build a life upon you as the firm foundation, the unshakable one, our rock. Lord, but then the other thing that I think of, Lord, in, in this moment, as we, as we see you, as we see your beauty, as we see your glory, Lord, that we would, we would live life to those around us. Lord, that that we would not be able to contain inside of us the experience that we've had with you, the experience of, of wonder, the experience of grace, the experience of forgiveness, the experience of love, or that we would live toward those around us because we've seen you. We pray for this, Lord. We ask you to help us, Lord. And we thank you, God. We thank you that we don't have to wonder if you're going to help us. Your spirit, it lives. He lives inside of us, helping us not only to see you and to behold you, but to live for you in power and love and joy and peace and patience and self-control and all these things we've been hearing about in 1 Corinthians 13. Lord, it comes from your spirit, like we heard last week. But we want to be people who live for you build our lives upon you. So help us to do that, we pray. We pray. In your son's name, amen. 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 Well, thank you to Eric and the worship team. That was a rich time of singing we shared this morning. Grateful to be in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of all of you. And welcome to those of you watching from the family room upstairs or gathering with us um, at home. My name is Evan, I'm one of the pastors here. If you are visiting today or have been joining us over the past several Sundays, we'd love the opportunity to get to connect with you, to meet you uh, after the service. So please take a, a moment to introduce yourselves. Uh, well, we have been studying through 1 Corinthians 13, and Pastor Keith took us last Sunday into this facet of what love is. Love does not insist on its own way. And it's one thing to, to tell the world that we ought to love one another. It's another thing entirely to liberate us from, from what holds us wanting to look out for number one, uh, wanting to get the rest of the people around us to cooperate with our agendas and, and the one who, who frees us in this way is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, who did not come just looking out for his own interest, but came to serve. And when the Holy Spirit's inside of us, and when we experience the liberating power of his love, it, it shows up in different ways in our lives. And, and, and one of those is in the practice of giving. Sunday after Sunday, week after week, you know, we, we, we live in a, in a culture, in a world that views money as either security or opportunity. Either how can I use my resources and my finances to protect and provide for myself, for my family, for my immediate interests, or how can I use it in a way that provides opportunity uh, to serve my particular pleasures and desires? 
And, and, and the, the mindset of the kingdom and what the spirit does inside of us is it gives us a new category for how God intends us to use our finances. Not to just insist on our own way or look out for our own interests, but, but to have hearts that are freed in generosity toward the kingdom of God and toward the needs of those around us. And so thank you for your faithfulness to continue to give. Um, just been so encouraged by the example this body has been setting this year. Uh, there are different ways you can give. We have some offering boxes in the back of the room. Uh, you can give through our website or through the app or through uh, bill pay. But let's uh, turn our hearts to God this morning as we consider our giving. Lord, when our lives are built on your love, we have a firm foundation. Lord, we, we don't have some shaky existence that would lead us to grasp and hoard and just consider our own self-protection. God, we are freed by your love to love those around us and to love you. And so, God, would our, would our giving reflect the power of your spirit at work in our lives to do exactly that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of announcements to highlight. One is that our uh, AV team is, is looking for some additional volunteers. You might have noticed bo both the amount of people in the sound booth and the size of the sound booth has expanded uh, during the, the, the season of live streaming and, and adding some additional technology to serve the church right now. And so uh, we're looking for some people who would be willing and maybe have some computer skills. Uh, they are using uh, ProPresenters, the software for uh, projecting lyrics and Wirecast for live streaming. If you know what I'm talking about right now, we really would like you to sign up. If you don't know what I'm talking about right now, but you care to learn, uh, please uh, go ahead and, and reach out. Uh, there's going to be an AV team meeting happening soon. And you can contact Pastor Ronald. His email is ronald at lakeviewchristiancenter.com to get some more details to help. Well, thinking about people who are looking for some work in the computer world, uh, we have a sad announcement to make this Sunday, but one that we are as well rejoicing with uh, Jesse and Kelly as they are relocating to Austin, Texas. So Jesse Varnado is right here with us this morning. Um, Kelly and the kids will be coming for the second service. I know nobody knows right now, do we applaud? Do we moan? Do we boo? What do we do here? Uh, Jesse's going to be uh, finding new work in, in Austin in the IT world. He has a, a job position there. And uh, this man, we, we have known him for many years in the church. I've, I've known Kelly for practically my entire life. Uh, so this is not an easy transition for us. I know, I know it's not an easy transition for them. And that ought to be how relationships in the church are. And, and they, they are leaving a, a hole in their absence in the community here. And just one of the joys we have as pastors is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sit down with newer people, maybe do a membership interview and just try to find out who are you connected to in the church? Who's somebody that reached out to you early on when you're trying to figure out whether or not this was a place you wanted to be? And uh, Jesse and Kelly's names consistently come up uh, as those who've invited people over to their house, taken people out to lunch, reached out and tried to make uh, connections and have just served in significant ways that I know they will continue to be a blessing in the church community that uh, they'll be in in Austin. But we love you. We continue to 
pray for you and just excited to see what God is doing in you in the days ahead, even though we're not excited about this announcement. All right. Well, Pastor Keith's going to bring us the word. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, organized protest is the appropriate response to them moving. I know that seems to be going around these days. I think it's appropriate. Sorry, Jesse. I'm not excited at all. Uh, there's no enjoyment in this moment for me. I, I didn't have to withhold applause. There was nothing in me that wanted to applaud this at all. Uh, love you guys very much. Will not be the same here without you. Um, well, hey to all you guys at home. Uh, rejoicing every week because we get to see some faces that we haven't had a chance to connect with. So this morning I had a chance to just rejoice with uh, new faces that are here among us that are just venturing out for the first time and, and guests as well. We continue to have guests and folks that are coming. Uh, my deep appreciation, all of our deep appreciation for those of you who are visiting. You've never been among us before and yet you chose to come to a church that is really, really far apart and uh, doing things a little differently and you're here. So grateful to have you, very much grateful to have you. All right, this morning we are back in First Corinthians chapter... 13, we are taking a slow walk through some very important verses. All verses in the Bible are important, but there's something about love that registers with us and reaches into our lives in a way that is so vitally important to who we are and to the health of our lives, to how we live life, whether we are motivated to do life. Whether your life is going well right now. It would just be very hard to be answering any of that in the affirmative if love is out of place. If love is broken in your life. If love is seldom encountered, it would be hard to feel like you're in a good place right now. And so this is a massively important topic to us. So we are taking our time and, and seeking to benefit from Paul's wisdom to the Corinthians. Let me just read this short portion that we are taking apart in under a microscope and that's beginning in verse 4 first corinthians 13 says love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way that's where we were last week and this week it is not irritable or resentful. Love is not irritable or resentful. Let me just give you a few more words there. If you're not aware of the original writing of scripture as the spirit of God inspired these writers in the New Testament was the, the Greek language. And so you're picking up that language and you're bringing it into the English language and you're looking for the best fit words to describe those original thoughts that were in the Bible. And so you get different translations here, right? The ESV says love is not irritable. Some other translations will say love is not easily provoked. The actual word there in the Greek means to spur or to stir to anger, right? So love isn't easily provoked and stirred to anger. It's not irritable, right? Or resentful. And that's an interesting word, resentful. Some of your translations might say, doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. The Greek word was used to take an inventory, right? To 
have a variety of things available to you that you kept track of and you kept an account of them. And Paul is saying, love doesn't do that, right? So what does that mean if I'm doing that? What does that mean if that's what's in the middle of a relationship connection? Well, it means whatever I'm doing doesn't qualify to be called love, right? It should be called something else, but it shouldn't be called love. Stephen Um, in his commentary, says, The Corinthian Christians had the religious thing down. They did what Christians do every week. They went to church. They prayed. They sang. They listened to a sermon, even shared a meal together. But in all the coming and going, in all their churchly activity, in spite of of all the sermons they had ever heard on 1 Corinthians 13, they struggled to keep love at the center of their lives. They did Christian stuff every week, but they struggled to keep love at the center of that. And how many of you just honestly, don't raise your hands because you're sitting with the people that this would be raising questions about probably. You're doing whatever, right? We're doing church and they were doing church. We're gathering, we sing, we relate. There's friendships, there's connections and teaching and learning. You're doing family, right? Husbands and wives are doing marriage. Siblings are doing relationships. Parents and kids are doing family, relating together. Friendships, you're doing friendships. Whatever that involves, you got a list of those descriptives. But are, are we struggling to keep love at the center of these things? And instead, we could too easily point out irritation and resentment in these settings of our lives. Well, that might be familiar, but good news this morning is Paul is visiting with us to fix that. So that's why we're here this morning. So let's pray together before we unpack this passage. Lord, if we're paying attention to the family stories that we grew up with, to listening to mom and dad talk about relationships they once had, but they don't have anymore. People that were perhaps brothers and sisters even that were in their lives that seldom get contacted. Or perhaps some are here, come from a broken home where divorce had the final say-so on relationship between a husband and a wife. Lord, maybe some folks here, the church has been a rough place, a difficult experience. It's been filled with disappointment and made to feel like they're an outsider. Lord, we find these relationship settings, but sometimes, Lord, words like irritability and resentment are way too loud in those settings. Sometimes we are having a hard time not keeping an account of wrongs that have been done and we are affected by them and they create distance and they break things. So Lord, you got something to help us in that category? Because what we wanted in those places was love. 
We wanted to know love. We wanted to give love. We wanted to receive love. We wanted to experience the love that comes from you that travels into these settings through the people that are in our lives. So Lord, help us today. Would you help us, Lord, today? We still want that, even though it's been hard. We still want it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to say that the Apostle Paul here, I'm going to call the Apostle Paul a bit of a, a troubleshooting mechanic here. He's going to show up on the scene of this Corinthian setting where, this is a cheesy kind of way to say it, but this is, this is a love system right here, right? That's what this is. It's a love system. It's, it's, it's a means for us to exchange the life of God with one another. That's what this community is about. And if God is love, then that's a dimension that we're going to be exchanging with each other. So a giving and receiving of love. But what happens when these words that Paul has listed, 15 descriptions, that this is happening instead of love? Well, there's a breakdown in the system. That's what's happening in Corinth. And so Paul's going to show up like a troubleshooter. And he's going to look to fix problems, right? Some of you guys are great troubleshooter people. You get what that's like. Um, Sometimes we're forced into that role. I was forced into being a troubleshooter in the past week or so. When my car decided to let me know with the little temperature gauge getting way over towards hot. Not that I'm paying attention to that. I'm like most of you guys driving the car. Who pays attention to any of this stuff? Well, my car got so upset that it beeped at me, which it's never done that before. So it's letting me know your engine is about to die, right? It's so hot. It's about to be over for this thing. And so hot, hot, hot. So finally I I pull over and I'm I'm kind of a fix-it person. So I'm going to try and figure out how to fix this thing. But when you go to fix it, there's a bunch of things that might be causing your car to overheat. You have a cooling system, right? So there's hoses. I'm checking all the hoses broken. Does it look like the water pump is engaging? Has the cap gone bad and it's not doing what the cap's supposed to do? And then finally I discover the radiator looks like it's got this strange line of pink fluid that's come out of it right across here. Ah, problem. Well, that's kind of what Paul is doing with the Corinthians, He looks at a church that's got a number of ways in which love seems to not be active. It doesn't seem to be showing up. It's not helping them. They're not experiencing it. And he goes to this troubleshooting list and points out, hey, guys, uh, let me me help you understand this thing called love. Uh, Love is patient. So how how are we doing? That's like he's pulling on the tubing. How's the the patience thing going? Let Let me check this over here. Love is kind. And arrogance is not found in love. It's like he's moving around the cooling system. And he's saying, hey, the reason why you guys are running so hot could be for a number of these reasons. And today he's going to point out, could be that your love is about to overheat in this system here uh, because there is resentment blocking love. Because there's irritability that gets communicated. Instead of love being communicated, irritation is getting communicated in its place. And so that's why you're about to overheat. All right, my question for us today, so I'm gonna give us a little bit of a Bible lesson on how to interact with passages like this for a second. But uh, are you okay with God's word performing a a bit of a troubleshooting test on your life? Because if you're the engine that I poked around in this past week, some stuff I'm saying, uh, you're okay. 
uh, you're okay. And then eventually I'm going to say, you're not okay. Now my engine's just an engine, right? It doesn't really have feelings and it doesn't think. But if it did, how would it feel about me saying that about it? Me showing up and saying, you're not okay right here. Can you weather that? What's that going to feel like when we might find out today, boy, there, there's more irritability in me than I thought. There's more resentment in me than I thought. And, and then there's this mystery of why things don't feel loving. And Paul's saying, well, that's why. And so if I can point that out to you, I can, I can help you in that regard. And that's what the Bible often is trying to do. It's trying to help us. It's trying to troubleshoot our lives. So let me give you the, the strategy of God here from this passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> How do we read some of these passages? Well, Paul helped us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 14. Paul says, but as for you, speaking to Timothy, but I think this is appropriately, obviously, for any Christian. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, right? And this will be our hope when we move on from 1 Corinthians 13, right? Can we continue in these things, in what we have learned and firmly believed? Can 1 Corinthians 13 be true for us, not just while we're in the passage, but can be true next week, next month, next year, right? So continue in what you have learned. I, I, I don't overlook the obvious when I read the Bible. Paul, why would you have to tell Timothy, he's a sharp guy, why would you have to tell any Christian to continue in some? Why does continuing? Aren't we going to continue? Aren't we all just going to continue in everything that we've learned that's meant something to us? Isn't that going to happen? Has it happened for you so far? Have you continued in everything that you have felt passionate about, that you started with eagerness, that you owned and possessed with a passion? Have you continued in all those things? I haven't. Um, I find sometimes the starting gate is much easier than the endurance of the race much later on. The newness of it can attract me in a way that I'm excited about. And there's a naiveness in that, that I don't anticipate this is going to be hard. It's only going to be awesome. So I'm all engaged. I'm good for this. And then we get into this thing and, and it's hard. Right? I love the word love. I love the experiences of love. Um, I've lived long enough and I've sat across the desk from a lot of people and I've learned along the way, love is hard. Relationships get hard and they get hard for the reasons that are unpacked in this passage. So I can, I can celebrate the idea of love, but I need to be prepared that it's going to get hard one day and I'll need some help in continuing and then this is how Paul goes about that. Knowing, right? Continue what you firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. How are we going to continue? Well, this continued relationship with God's sacred writings is going to help. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's what the, that's what the scriptures can do for us. And then he's going to... Describe the scriptures. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God might be complete, equipped. 
for every good work. All right, so hold on to all these little pieces here, right? Because we, we need them when we go to read 1 Corinthians 13 and do anything with it. All right, so we learn in this passage as Paul's means of continuing. Paul tells Timothy, hey, two things I want you to notice that the scriptures will do for you in your life, Timothy. One, they will make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures will do. They will make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? So when you, any of us, if maybe you're new to reading the Bible, maybe you've just started, maybe you guys are watching at home, you're like, ah, what's this book really all about? Uh, and, and it's easy to come across a lot of misuse of the Bible. Just little catchy phrases, little motivational moments. You know, this thing's not like a Nike ad, right? It's not just showing up in your life and saying, hoo-hoo, just do it, just do it. It's, it's saying a lot more than that. It's not a motivational speech. It's, it's not trying to provide for you some moral boundaries for you to just be committed with all your might to living within these moral boundaries. And let's read that. Let's find the 10 commandments. Let's find where the Bible says this is okay. And that's not okay. So here we got like a new list. It's not the 10 commandments. It's the 15 characteristics of love. So now we got a new list for us to, to get psyched up about, spend a little extra time in the spiritual gym. And then we're going to pull this off. Uh, no, no, the, the Bible's trying to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's not where it compels you to go first, you have missed the first step in the dance and actually missing the way in which to even use and benefit from the Bible. But what Paul explains to Timothy there in that passage means the Bible's not only doing that. He says the Bible's inspired by God to accomplish some things, right? And so he highlights in this that it's going to equip you. So the Bible's going to lead you to salvation in Christ. And then the Bible's going to turn around and equip you to live a life that's got certain characteristics to it. And when the Bible goes to equip you, he says, this is what it's going to feel like. It's going to feel like it's teaching you, reproving you, correcting you, training you. So that's what it's going to feel like when that happens. And that's what's happening in this verse. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is trying to equip the church to love. If he leaves that out, they can be saved and not loving, which is kind of what they were doing and missing the experience of being loved this way as well. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, there's 15 descriptions. If they were, this is the do's and don'ts. You know, there's like eight don'ts and like seven do's in this list. The do's and don'ts of love. Craig Blomberg in his commentary on Corinthians says, verses 4 through 7 describe the nature of love in language designed to point out how little the Corinthians are measuring up. That's what this passage is designed for. It's designed to point out to the Corinthians how they're not measuring up. All right, so, all right, let me just tell you, that's a part of me that reacts to that like allergically. Those two phrases, the idea that you have, you've given me a list of 15 things. And then you turn around and say, this thing is telling me how I don't measure up. Those two things to me and part of my theology make me feel like there's fingernails on the chalkboard in this moment. <clears throat> uh, the Bible's not about 
measuring up, right? Completely right. When it comes to its discussion on salvation and being right with God, the Bible is never about you and I measuring up. The Bible is about convincing us that we don't measure up, that we can't measure up. It makes us wise when we realize that for salvation in Jesus Christ. So when it comes to picking up 1 Corinthians 13, be careful what you turn it into. Is it a list of 15 things that you have associated with salvation in Jesus Christ? So you're picking this up like a performance thing? Like it's rungs on a ladder? Okay, rung number one is patience. How am I doing in that? And then, you know, I kind of get that improved a little bit. And then kindness. And where is this ladder taking you, by the way? Does it finally, you climb this thing and you get all 15 down and you're at the top of the ladder and now you can come into heaven? Is that, is that at all how you think this passage is designed? I would say most Christians could say, then that's ridiculous. But this is what they don't say is ridiculous. What about this rung being a ladder that lets you at least climb high enough to ring a bell to get God's attention so that he can be gracious to you now? Now, how many Christians do feel like that? Okay, if I take everything you're saying and I apply it a certain way and I live better in the love category and I live better in the love category, I can finally get high enough to ring the bell and God will turn his gracious attention to me. And begin to pour out on me his kindness and his grace and his provision and his favor upon my life. See, this, this is why we go, when life goes bad, we go, what did I do? What did I do? I, in other words, apparently I'm not ringing the bell enough for this God. And he's not showing up. And that's why things are going bad right now. Um, okay, when God showed up in your life with the most enormous blessing and gift of salvation that made you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ, can I just tell you, you weren't ringing any bells. Not a one. So the first thing the Bible does, it makes us aware that we don't have to be bell ringers. We don't have to qualify. We don't have to pay God off. We don't have to stroke him in just the right way. God can be gracious and he is to us whenever he wants to for purposes that are deep in him. But then the Bible turns around in 1 Corinthians and it's trying to do something. What is this passage trying to do? Be careful, you're not trying to make it do something it doesn't want to do. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13, if it had a personality, it would speak to you and would say, do not pick me up and use me for salvation. Do not do that. It doesn't want to be used for salvation. 1 Corinthians 13 is not about saving you. It's not trying to save you. It's trying to equip you. It's trying to come into my life and say, Keith, can I just troubleshoot around in your life a little bit? Can I just let you know how much irritability in you is in the way of love? And and record keeping, you, you have a tendency to hold on to things. You remember what people have done. Can, can I just tell you that's like clogging your radiator and love can't flow through that? What's that passage doing for me? Is it inviting me to save myself? No, that's ridiculous. But it is inviting me to fix something. It is inviting me to adjust something. And quite honestly, in my sanity, if I'm not feeling sorry for myself, 
I actually want it to help me because I actually do want what it's offering me. But I I need to be careful that I don't eliminate, because I I think the Bible's a book of salvation, that I don't turn every passage into an explanation of salvation. It's not. This, This passage isn't explaining to you how to be saved. It is explaining for you how to live, how to do differently than what you're doing, how to experience the love of God. So it is teaching us. It is giving us insight. It is standing in front of our life and go, hey, did you think about this? You ever thought that this is in the way? Have you seen this? This is a real problem. If love is going to be what you're after, then this right here is going to be a real problem. And when it does that and it says this right here is broken in you, it corrects something. It reproves something. I'm concerned on multiple fronts for Christians' inability to see that as valuable. Like we... We want to feel good. We don't want to be trained and we don't want to be equipped. We want to feel good. We want the Bible to sound like it's making us feel good. But what if the Bible wants to equip me? What if it wants to take me from this inability to love and say, I'm not okay with you standing there. Oh, can I just tell you that's clogged? That's clogged right there. Yeah, that's why you overheat all the time. You cool with that? No, I'm hurt by that. No, I don't feel like I measure up. Um... Somehow, the Bible that makes us wise for salvation in Jesus Christ, the first thing it did was tell you you didn't measure up. That's been established. Why why you keep resisting that? Why don't you just cool with that? Why can't I just say, hey, you're right. That's why I gave up my self-salvation project decades ago and put my hope and my trust in Jesus Christ and what he did completely for me not working on this to try and get God on my side, but I am being equipped by this. John Piper offers a clarifying, helpful comment in his book on preaching. He says, to preach Christ crucified, as Paul implied in 1 Corinthians 2, 2 and Galatians 6, 14, is not to turn every sermon into a message that climaxes with a rehearsal of the atonement. Rather, it is to treat seriously and carefully every word and every clause and every logical connection in the text in order to show how Christ, crucified and risen and present by the Spirit, empowers and shapes the new way of life described in the text. I have high expectations for myself when I come to 1 Corinthians 13 and for us as a church. For every married couple in here, I have high expectations because of what the cross of Jesus Christ accomplished. It broke down the barrier of the dividing wall of me being on my own and gave me a reconciliation to God so that he is now with me, for me, forgiven me. He's not, he's not opposing me. The thing that he would have opposed in me has been dealt with by the cross. So God is on my side in this. And he has given me the Holy Spirit. That's why we sang that new catchy tune last week. All you need is... Spirit. Dun, 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 dun. Right? Everybody remembers that now. All right. So, apostolic mechanic, what are you checking in our love system today? Well, I'm checking irritability and resentfulness. I'm checking to see if irritability easily provoked, just on the edge of anger, easily provoked. I'm, I'm checking that. And, and, and I'm checking record keeping. I'm checking whether you're keeping inventory of the wrongs of others. Because if those two things are happening, love's out the door. 
You're not going to be experiencing love if that's the case, right? And, you know, hey, welcome to the summer of 2020. A bitter gumbo of pandemic opinions. I'm, I'm sorry, I just have not seen people so easily provoked ever in my life. This thing came along out of nowhere called the pandemic. I don't even know if half of us knew how to spell pandemic before that happened. And then it's this moving target that some days it's described this way and some days it's described that way and droplets are this size and droplets are that size and wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Uh, you know, it's like a gazillion ideas, but the second you disagree with me about my ideas on that, I am provoked to anger. Really? Yeah, Really? I'm not feeling the love. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how you're doing, but I'm not feeling the love out there. Racial debates and hostilities are seeking to address every angle and every thought. Historically, presently, future. It just feels like that discussion is always within arm's reach of provocation. Responsive anger is close at hand, political angles, right? And that's, that's the summer of 2020. But then the rest, you know, uh, we're just doing life, aren't we? Aren't we just doing life? I mean, your haircut might bug me. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that could just get under my skin. You interrupting. Like, hey, I mean, life's busy and I got a lot going on and you're interrupting me. I mean, that's the moment you're going to feel my irritation. And, and irritability is going to come on the scene and, and it's going to get communicated to you and you're going to feel it a certain way, right? So just normal life is happening. So I think I wrote this in your outline. Paul has labeled this easy provocation and resentment as not love. Whatever that is, it's not love, right? So if you're looking for love, that ain't it. And where love is absent, there will be hurt, pain, longing, disappointment, selfishness, division, hostility, social distancing of the worst kind, avoidance, fear, tribalism, outbursts of anger, etc. When you when you evacuate love from the setting of relationships, this is what you begin to cultivate. This is what replaces it. So let me just say two things here to get us to think in these categories. These these are not small issues, right? Oh, we're going to spend this much time on irritation and resentment? Yeah. They are massively disrupting the love relationships in your life. Do not underestimate the disruptive power of irritation. Right? Irritation quite often is minor actions with major effects. It is the signal that we send to one another, and it's a minor action. It's the... That's all it took. And you know how I feel about you. You know how I feel about whatever you're requesting. Whatever your need is in my world, I just communicated bunch to you, right? So I want you to leave feeling this, and I want you to think this through because you're on the giving and the receiving in this. When I feel your irritation, or you feel mine, I feel that I am an inconvenience in your life. I'm not feeling the love. I feel like I'm an inconvenience. When I feel your irritation or you feel mine, I feel that I lack importance, that I'm taking up space you'd prefer to use some other way. I don't feel like a priority to you. 
when I feel your irritation, I'm tempted to compare myself to the other people in your world who are treated carefully and kindly and patiently. Somehow I don't qualify for that. You don't speak to others like that. You are careful. You can reel in your inconvenienced feel for that person, but not for me. Irritation smells like rejection, like I don't matter. Like my life lacks significance to you. And you can imagine you want this thing to feel like love, right? You want to have a love exchange with somebody else. But when you roll your eyes, when you express, when you ask that question that's, that's designed to let that person know, I wish this weren't happening and I wish you weren't inconveniencing me and I wish you weren't in the way of what I really want. You, you just communicated something to them. You are not important enough for me to just joyously do this with you to be delayed by your needs, to move at your pace rather than my own. So it is no small thing, the rolling of the eyes, the huff of breath. It's a small action with a lot of noise and effect attached to it. Do not underestimate the destructive power of resentment and record-keeping of wrongs. Do not treat that like that's a small thing. It is a big thing. Resentment undermines the cleansing work of forgiveness in your own life. How can you deeply know the forgiveness of God and at the same time focus on the sins of others? Can I just tell you, those two things cannot sit in the same human being at the same time. One of them has to go. So you can act like, this is what the Corinthians were doing, right? They're doing church. Well, you can act like you understand the doctrine of forgiveness. You can act like you do. You might even find a good reference book and a few passages that point it out. But where you keep records of wrongs, there's something operating in you that undoes the reality of your own forgiveness. There is no way you can stare at the wonder and amazement and awe and confusion that the God of the universe and all of his perfection has forgiven me and not kept a record of my sins. But yet I can turn around and keep a record of somebody else's like that. Can I just tell you the first part ain't happening. You just think it is. The first part would reduce you to tears. The first part would make you burn all your record keeping. If it were happening. This is a teaching moment, right? This is a moment where we say, oh no, I think it's happening. Can I just teach you something from the Bible? It's not happening. You think you've seen that? You've not seen it. It would undo you to be aware of what you have been forgiven and the record that could be a massive library of thoughts and actions that would exist in God. And yet I got no problem with the thing that you did to me 20 years ago or the second time you did it to me last year. I got no problem. That's a, that's a real problem for me. Resentment fuels pride and self-pity, which turn into a roaring fire quickly. Can I just tell you, if self-pity is functioning in your life, Love will be hard to experience. 
record-keeping of wrongs insults and ignores the righteous judgment of God. As you maintain that God's judgment for these sins is not enough. No, I need to keep a record and take appropriate actions myself. We said this earlier on. You do recognize every sin is destined for judgment. Every sin. There's not a one committed. If you're wondering what will happen to that sin that came against you by that person back along ago, that you don't, no matter what they do, that sin is going to be judged either in them or in the Son of God. And it's going to be a sufficient judgment. So to keep a record so that you can distance yourself and bring your own form of cold, aloof judgment to that person is to say, God, I appreciate that you're going to be doing some judging here. I think my judgment needs to be making a contribution as well. So rather than letting that person function in my life like a normal human being, I'm going to create my own form of social distancing. And I'm not going to treat them the same. These are not small things. These are the, these are the hidden reasons why life doesn't feel very loving. Why the church doesn't feel very loving. Why marriages may not feel very loving and Paul, thank you for helping us see that. For Paul, his conversation with the Corinthians, are you seeking a world that features love while ignoring the mold of irritation and resentment that's growing on the walls of your house? For us, are we longing for love? We do. But failing to address this anti-love component that is growing in our relational settings. Please don't leave here today thinking, I can hold on to my record keeping and my irritability towards others that gets expressed and gets out there. But in the future, we will exchange love. No, that will clog your cooling system and you're going to run hot. And you can keep doing that if you want, but you're not going to experience love. So how would I approach this? passage, how would I approach the fact that this passage is coming to us in in this manner? I've got three words that I would say are helpful. These are probably uh, good approaches to counseling in life, but good approaches to how the Bible's trying to help our lives. All right, three, three words. One is what, as in what are you doing? What exactly is the Bible even talking about in this moment? Well, in this passage, it's talking about, am I irritated? Am I resentful? What am I doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm irritable. Either I am or I'm not. I'm resentful. Okay, is that happening or not? What am I doing? First thing that it does. Second, why am I doing this? Lots of Christians, I find, do not ask that question. The Bible is very much a, an into-your-heart motivational, wants you to understand what operates on the inside. You'll notice Jesus wasn't ever just interested in trimming the bushes. He wanted to talk about the root out of the abundance of the heart. What is it on the inside? Why are these things happening? So I don't think it serves you very well just to say, hey, guys, we just heard from the list of 15 that, that resentment and irritability needs to come off a list. So we just, hey, this morning, can we all just say we're not going to do that anymore? Yeah, shake your head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a fool's errand. I'm sorry. Why were you doing it in the first place? Because if you don't deal with that, you're going to have a hard time not doing it again. So the Bible wants to figure out what's going on in my heart. Why am I irritated? And then how? How do my heart and my actions find help? How do I get help with this? 
right? And that help comes by the cross, the resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit. It does not come by me getting psyched up. It does not come by me acting in the natural. It does not come by me being guilted or shamed into a different form of activity. It comes as a revelation of the cross, the resurrection, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that comes to my life that now equips me to live a life of love that's quite different and to get out from underneath the strongholds and the powers of these words, resentment and irritability. John Piper, speaking of this passage, says, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Paul gives 15 descriptions of what love is. And what struck me was how virtually all of them involve what Jesus called a dying or a hating of your life in this world. Somehow, this life, whatever it is right here, right now, this moment, what, I'm, what I want, what, what, what protects me, what motivates me, this life that I'm trying to build, somehow I got to get free from its power over me. Somehow. This is why just to tell you stop doing this, it's, the Bible doesn't stop there. Somehow there's reasons for me to do these things because this life right here has power over me. Something about right here, right now. Something about our relationship. Something about what I have to have from you that has power over me. And so when I don't get it and I'm convinced it's damaged me and it's ruined my future, I resent that and I resent you. I don't think I have any resentment for the person who took the last box of cereal in the store Right when I went to go grab it, he took it. You know, I'm not. I'm not working through that. I'm not going to see any counselors. You know, the last box of Frosted Flakes. I just can't get over it. I mean, I am so oh, undone. That guy. I don't even know him, but I hate him. I hate him. Anybody having a problem like that? No, because he didn't mess with my life here. It's only the people who can mess with my life here, my life here. But what if God had a means of setting you free from your life here? That's a little different than that. What if it was about dying? Piper goes on and says, now, by nature, none of us likes to be interrupted when things are going well. We do not like delays in our plans. We all have strong craving for trouble-free life, and we tend to get irritated when our best-laid plans go awry. We don't like traffic tie-ups on the freeway when we have an appointment. We don't like overheated cars on vacation. Didn't like mine, just coming to work. We don't like for babies to cry through the night. We don't like checks to get lost in the mail. We like it when life flows according to plan and pleasure. And when it doesn't, our nature is to be provoked and to complain and grumble and murmur and be angry and critical. Now, Paul says... Love suffers long and is not easily provoked. So what becomes of this whole side of us that suffers short, has a short fuse, and that it's easily provoked and easily complains and easily grumbles and easily gets angry and easily criticizes? The answer is it must die. 
To love like this is to die. If I am to be like this, something in me must die. My strong craving for a trouble-free life must die. My need for an uninterrupted schedule must die. Oh, by the way, John called me personally and asked for those two. My demandingness that frustrations and interference get out of my way must die. We simply cannot love the way Paul describes until we die. Is that true? Yes. So to talk about love is to talk about dying. Today's message is titled Dying to Love. There's something about these trouble issues in our love that dying does something to them that nothing else can Did you know the Christian life is designed to be lived by dead people? Did you know that? It doesn't do well with a person who wants with all of his might to to remain alive. It just doesn't do well. It's designed for dead people, right? Let me pick up, I'm just read this passage real quickly. Colossians chapter three. This is... This is the twin passage to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't know if you've noticed how similar these passages are when it comes to this issue of love and Paul's descriptions there. Colossians 3 lets us in on some teaching. It teaches us why this love is even possible. Chapter 3, verse 3, Colossians says, For you have died, right? A death has been accomplished. Death has shown up. Did you know that? For, right, there's the reason, the cause, you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, that that runs huge interference for me because the thing that is causing my irritability is I have a life going on right here that you are in the way of. My life is hidden in what's happening here in the next hour, in the next day, in the good for me. My life is hidden in that and you, you are messing with that and you are irritating me. And the Bible says, no, no, no. How, how wonderfully free you could be of that if you were to realize, no, 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 you have died and your life now is hidden in Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse five. Put to death, therefore, right? That therefore, big, mighty word, right? It's trying to say something so real and so impacting and so effective has happened that you can put this to death now. And what was that? Well, well, you have died. Since you have died and your life is hidden somewhere else, therefore, you can put this to death. What? Well, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Well, how about irritability? How about resentfulness? Paul, can I, can I put those to death? Yes. They're not on the list, but yes, you can. And verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. And listen, this is 1 Corinthians 13 written all over again. Compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, right? Love doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Meekness and love is patient. 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, right? Love is not resentful. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Eric, you can come back up. What is this verse in Colossians trying to do? Is it trying to save you? When you read Colossians, is Colossians chapter 3, the verses that are those verses trying to save you? Are they trying to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ? No, they're actually assuming you are already wise and have been saved through Jesus Christ. And then they come with a different agenda. They come with this awareness, this teaching moment of because you have come alive in Christ and your life is now hidden in him and you have, you have transferred your life through this portal of death and you have died to something earthly about yourself. Because that is true, put off this and put on this. Put off irritability and resentment and put on love. You can do it. Is this verse trying to save you? Is it trying to say, and if you don't do it, It's a short trip to hell for you. Just saying. Is is it trying to say, if you do this, God will be favorable towards you? Is it trying to say any of that? Is this a bell ringer? Is this a ladder to climb? It's an equipping verse. It's the Bible stepping into our broken world and saying, hey, this is what God has for you. And I know this is not where you are. And I'm going to troubleshoot this thing. And when we're done, I'm I'm going to equip you to live in this. This is the hope that we have. That this love thing can become real. It can become real in your marriage if it hasn't been. It can become real in your families. It can become real in the church. Why? Because we have died. Our life is hidden in Christ. And his spirit has been given to us. That's why all we need is the spirit to make this come to life in us. All right, listen to these Interesting dying to love concepts. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. What does that do for my agenda? What does that do for my irritability factor? What does that do for the fact that you have wronged me in the past? Well, it stabs it in the heart. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? And listen, I, I, I don't get this taught through verses like this for years and years and years. I, this is the best I think I can say it. A mysterious working of death has occurred for us through the death of Christ that now enables me to put to death irritability and keeping accounts of wrong and to put on love. Can you explain it any further than that? Not really. Mysteriously, somehow, the death of Christ was the death of me in a way that unplugged me from that natural earthly existence. It severed me. It was the end of that for me. Can you explain? I can't explain that. I just know that happened. And that disconnect now enables me by the spirit to live a different life. And that's why we hear these other death and life and love verses. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life, keeps it. 
John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends, right? You lay your life, love does that. Love lays life down. Love has a death component to it. Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So let's pray in just a moment here. But what, what, what's this passage trying t- to accomplish in 1 Corinthians 13? It's not trying to save anybody. Nor is it trying to convince you that you have fallen short of being saved. It's trying to help every one of us who are struggling to experience the good of love to actually experience it. Let's stand up together. Lord, here is the reality. Here's what we sometimes share with each other. Here's what fills our counseling moments. This wonderful, powerful, deeply meaningful thing called love is sometimes so not what we're experiencing. And it hurts. And it's disappointing. our husbands and wives are watching right now, awkwardly sitting in the same room together, not making eye contact because their relationship has lost its feeling of love and there is irritability and there is resentment that every day causes that marriage to overheat or there are grown adults here who used to speak to their family but they don't anymore because resentment and record keeping has taken hold of them they can't imagine initiating a conversation with these people. Well, this was not the story you'd intended for us, the people who belong to you, whom you set free from the power of sin and hell, evil. You had another path for us. You had other experiences for us. Lord, I know we just barely opened the door of, of what it means to identify with your death and your life in us. But Lord, around this room and in these marriages and in these families and in our church, Lord, there is a need. There's a need, Lord. Do not want to stand at a distance from love. We don't want like a cool poster of love that sits on some wall, but seldom is experienced in our own lives. Lord, we're not okay with that. And thank you that you are not okay with that. Thank you that Paul was not okay with that for the Corinthians. 
you offer us more. Lord, we want to receive more. So God, I pray for us today. Would you equip us with these words to love like never before? Lord, for any here this morning, Lord, you would bring a a, a freedom that only the death of Christ can bring through our crucifixion with him. A death to irritableness, to insisting on my own way, my own timing, my own pace, my own activities, having been so clinging to my life the way I think it needs to be and must be that any interference from others is greeted by irritableness. Lord, would you let that die in us, the death that you died in your crucifixion. Lord, where we have been paralyzed by the failures of others, by the disinterest of others, by the sins of others against us. Lord, would you bring a day where that no longer controls us. We love because you love us. Not because somebody else has deserved it. Lord, would you bring a death to that into our lives? Would you bring even this week, Lord, an amazing releasing of us from this? Lord, would some find the courage to send a note, an email, a letter to reach out into something that died a long time ago relationally and you want to touch that? You want to have them insert love, not because somebody else deserves it, Because you, Lord, died our death and gave us your life to give away to others. Love one another even as I have loved you. Lord, thank you that you are not irritated by me. You should be provoked to anger every day and you are not thank you that you are not keeping a record of my wrongs Lord transfer that kind of life that kind of love into me and through me Lord may it be in my marriage may it be in my family may it be in my church may it be in my friendships, Lord. May you find a way into all these categories and places with a love like no other. Equip us, Lord, for your glory, for the good of so many, but for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys at home, we miss you greatly. We sure hope to see you as soon as possible. Get a mask, come join us. We'll see you next week.